Hello and welcome to The Shovel, a podcast brought to you by Property Leaders Brisbane, an independent and vibrant community open to professionals working in the property and construction industry. The Shovel is a natural extension of the conversations we have at our events, where we share and debate ideas and inspire positive change in our city. Welcome everyone to our fifth episode of The Shovel podcast. I'm Matthew Mackey, founder and chair of Property Leaders Brisbane and business leader of cost and commercial management at Arcadis. Here with me today is Isaac Coonan, who is the founder of PropTech BNE, a leading Australian firm dedicated to promoting national awareness, policy development and investment in one of the world's fastest growing technology clusters, that of PropTech. Isaac has spearheaded various initiatives aimed at mapping the growing PropTech economy, advocating for public policies that encourage the adoption of digital solutions, and working closely with emerging technology entrepreneurs to help shape the future of the property sector. One of Isaac's core principles is ensuring that the emerging digital and technology sector and the solutions it creates enable rather than disrupt the national property sector. Thanks for joining us today, Isaac. Thank you very much for having me. Why don't you tell us a little bit about PropTech BE? There may be a few of our listeners who are not familiar with it and its impact on the property sector and the market you're trying to drive. So, I suppose very briefly, PropTech BE was born four or five years ago, and it was really born out of my personal experience working in the global venture capital space, investing into property technology or PropTech, which is inclusive of construction, real estate, property management, architect design, systems operations. You pretty much think of any tool that would enable the broader property industry Mm. in a digital technology landscape, that was what we invested in. And so at one point I was the director of Australia, Southeast Asia, and I noticed that we had some phenomenal entrepreneurs, some phenomenal startups and research here in Australia and New Zealand. But there was a really big problem and disconnect between the tools and solutions that were being created and then I suppose how they integrated and interfaced with industry. So PropTech BE was really started to firstly address that. It was really set to act as that conduit in between the emerging digital solution and then the industry it was trying to solve, to act as a mediator for mm. lack of a better word. We saw the ability to more clearly articulate the pain points of industry to the companies that were developing innovative solutions and then vice versa, ensuring that we were advocating for the need of digital technology and innovation yeah. within real estate. So that's really, that's what it is we do. We are very lucky to have the support from a large number of peak bodies, industries, and then uh, individuals within the property sector who are all passionate about the digital transformation of the property industry through PropTech, but um, didn't have a channel to really, I suppose, push or filter that passion through. So PropTech BE is very, we're very grateful to have that. And um, yeah, that's a lot of the work that we do here mm. in Brisbane and Southeast Queensland. Okay. So where you kind of sit in the ecosystem, let's call it, is it mainly to facilitate those digital technology companies in terms of the products they're developing and how they meet the needs of the property sector? Yeah, absolutely. That's where it started. It has progressed over time to really focus on if we have the trust of this uh, national tech cluster in terms of being a conduit into industry, well, how else can we add support? So over the years, we have developed up different programs and initiatives to support with business modeling, to support with finance, support with investments. We don't do a lot of the work ourselves we see ourselves as again more of that conduit to connection mm-hmm. so there are phenomenal firms out there that really specialize in the venture capital preparation for tech companies great we sort of validate well who are the ones doing good work what are the benefits they bring and then introduce them to the tech companies but right. at our core it's to ensure that 
more tech, more digital, more innovation is adopted by the property industry. That's what we're here to do. So does it work the other way? Have you had construction companies or property consultants, architects, engineers, et cetera, come to you with a challenge or a problem that they want solving and then you go and find the right kind of technology partner to try and you know, develop that software? Yeah, absolutely. It happens probably more so now because we have had a few years, we've got a few years under our belt and we've mm. got a few examples of where it works really well. I would probably say it happens more so from a holistic overview rather than a single pain point. Hey, you know, I'm needing to understand exactly how many people are in my building. Go find me a sensor that mm. does that. Yeah. More, how can we leverage digital and innovation to better understand the way people engage with infrastructure, how they commute. How, so it's we probably start with the more of the big meteor right. challenge, yeah, yeah, yeah. work that out with industry mm. and then distill it down to, okay, well, we're actually got four or five separate challenges mm. that fit underneath that one challenge. Well, we can help you find the right tech or innovative solutions for each of them, but let's also make sure they talk to each other. Let's mm. also make sure they're integrated. So, yes, they absolutely do come to us, but it's probably more big problem yeah. issue rather than a super tech. Rather than I want a piece of software yeah. that does this. And to be yeah. fair, Google is a great tool. Like yeah. If yeah. if you know exactly what your pain point is, if you mm. know exactly what your problem is, you're probably going to be able to find a solution mm. that meets that. It, it's more of a, okay, we understand that there is a broader issue, mm. but where does innovation play a role in helping us understand and helping us solve for that that's where we really support industry do you have any um, any kind of real examples that you can talk about that where that has happened where whether it's government or somebody's come to you with that kind of challenge and you've you've helped create a solution for it all right so probably uh, holistically if we look at commercial real estate as an example a lot of the asset managers or asset owners thinking of one now I'm ISPT with a couple mm-hmm. of assets here in Brisbane they literally came to us i'd like to say they came to us genuinely but i do think they were trying to see if we actually knew what we were talking about oh, okay. so they brought this challenge which is fair enough i like the yeah. challenge they, they they said all right you know we run these two assets here in brisbane they run more but they, yeah. they've got those two big assets we want to bring our costs down go away and tell us how we can do it we spent six months understanding that's about the operational cost yeah, of those buildings yeah the operational cost like yeah. realistically how do we do it so we 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 plugged in three awesome prop tech companies two of them from Brisbane, mm. one from Victoria, who are all centered around monitoring of assets, but mm. not just stopping there, not just providing data, because there's so many companies that provide the data, but then what? They provide the data, but then they provide tangible insights in ways that you can improve the operational efficiency of your building. Yeah. Space Platforms is a great example. They're a Brisbane-based prop tech company that do just that. I think with their Queen Street asset, they were able to save $180,000 in the first year. This, is, this shows you how basic some of this stuff is, mm. but by turning the lights off earlier. Yeah, but but it's knowing when to turn the lights off earlier. Exactly. So by integrating space platforms, they could understand peak periods Mm. of an asset. They could understand when people are coming and going, how long they're staying for, and little things like even understanding how that impacts a HVAC system, how that impacts the lighting system. You know, being able to save that amount of money in the first year by just optimizing your building based on what's actually going on inside Mm. of it. It is probably a first, like just a real tangible example of ways to do it. Their solution prior to that, and it's across the industry it's what you need to have a property manager who's on site who can walk around who can measure it's just not a it's not achievable it's not it's not sustainable there's the cost of that individual as well yeah exactly and we're not replacing that individual Mm. whatsoever we're actually giving that individual the proper tools to do the job they've been assigned to do Mm. and i think that's when that was probably one of the first examples working with a landlord that we're able to kind of say hey look this is how Mm. tech can actually solve for 
reducing the operational cost of a building. Mm. Now, that's a very crude example in terms of it's very simple. Yeah. But I think that's also what we need to remember. When we say prop tech, I think everyone's thinking about the next 10 years. Like yeah. what's coming down the what's coming down the pike in the next 10 years? Not, well, what can we do right now that mm. will have an impact on our business right now? Could you take that to the next level then? Because obviously the, the drive now is about sustainability and reduced carbon. When we talk about embodied carbon in construction, uh, there's a lot more carbon that's wasted through the actual operation of an asset like a commercial office building like you're talking about. So with those kind of changes and taking that very, very simple example of like turn the lights off earlier, could that prop tech solution then look at, well, and here's what you would say from a carbon perspective as well, mm. because that's the kind of thing that those kind of organisations like ISPT are going to be looking for more now in terms of, it's not just about the, the financial saving, which is obviously a motivator in itself, but it's also what can they be saying to their to their tenants and their customers in terms of the environmental saving as well? Yeah, absolutely. That's happening, I would say, with most tech products that we're seeing in this sector. Whether they position themselves as a green product or not, when you're integrating tech more often than not, you're removing an inefficiency, whether it's paper-based, whether it's turning the lights off, whether it's you name it. So it, I think there's a level of maturity that still needs to happen in the prop tech sector where companies that are starting up are able to articulate the value that they provide mm. to the industry. I will say, though, from looking at it from more of a construction side or a physical development of a piece of infrastructure, it's a little bit harder because mm. there are some awesome material innovation that exists in Australia. We've got phenomenal research coming out of all of our major institutes that would allow us to construct and build in a far more greener, more sustainable way. Issue is to get materials passed by the Australian Building Code takes a fairly large amount of advocating. Takes yes rigorous research it takes you know months and months and years of testing so i think i think where we're at as an ecosystem to use that word is where we're able to play in the already built environment and we're starting to support policy change when it comes mm. to new materials and new material yeah. innovation but it's it's a it's a longer it's a longer, it's a longer burn yeah, yeah. that is the 10-year horizon you that, were talking about in before. my mind yeah. the 10-year horizon has to be the way we build mm. right now we need to focus on well how do we do operate better how do yeah. we operate better yeah. what's already built mm. that's a perfect time as well because if you look particularly looking at brisbane brisbane 2032 mm. you look at the infrastructure roadmap if we don't get how we build better sorted we're not going to deliver a lot of the assets that are there no. <laughs> like yeah, Andrew, true. we're saying yeah. carbon positive uh, games like what the which needs a lot of work because it's a great statement but i think a lot of people are beginning to suss that there isn't actually a lot of how no. built around it yeah. and i think a lot of people are looking to the existing property and construction industry they're looking to the existing technology solutions to say solve for it and it's like well the yeah. What's going to solve for it is what's sitting in an R&D lab desperately trying to get approval by the Australian Building Code that allows us to mass-produce concrete mm. with 60% less emissions. It's it's the prefab, it's the modular yep. constructions, it's modern methods of construction. Which all needs investment, which at the moment, the industry, the way it's operating, particularly when you start looking at contractors and suppliers, they don't have the funds or the cash to actually do that level of investment. No. So you're looking for, ideally, I had this conversation the other day, you're ideally looking for government, whether it's council, state, federal, to actually lead and actually create that requirement and create that market and create that demand. Yeah. But at the moment, it's a case of we want to be carbon neutral, industry solve it for us. Yeah. And that's not the same thing. That's just pushing the problem across the other side of the street. Yeah, and I think... There's part of it where I agree because I think if government said, hey, be carbon neutral and this is how you're going to do it, yeah. that's one way to piss off a lot of the industry. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I do think that there is an element of a 
consultative approach that government should be taking. And yeah. It, but they have to create the demand. That's they why, have to that's why BIM, DFMA, yeah. all these things have not taken off to the extent that they should have because nobody can see the, the, the longer-term requirement, the longer-term demand. Mm. So why would you spend all this money and all this time investing in a solution that may just be for this thing now but not further down the track? Yeah. And it's it, that's what we need to get our kind of heads around as an industry that we have to look at the longer term. And yeah. as an industry, we're very focused on the next asset, the next building. I mean, 2032 gives us the opportunity to look longer term, but I still feel at this moment in time how we're going to get there is by traditional means, which is the way that we've been doing it for the last 30 years. Mm. So that's the challenge. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah. So just, and we talked about the the bigger infrastructure stuff and you know the the operational solutions that you've been asked for by a developer. What about the the other way? What about for? I mean, part of my experience is when I've worked for consultancies is that we have these great ideas of a technology solution that that we want to have, and it goes one or two ways. They, those companies either try and build it themselves and realise they don't have the expertise, the time, or the people to actually do it. So what they do is probably. 10% of what they wanted and therefore it's considered a failure and therefore doesn't really doesn't really get rolled out to the extent that it should. Or it's a version of Excel with a Power BI slapped on the front and it's like with digital, thumbs up. Or they engage a software developer, right? so some of the outfits you'd be talking to, and they say, here's the challenge, here are the problems we're trying to solve, this is what we want. And my experience of that is that you know, we as industry participants understand the challenges that we're trying to solve for our clients and we understand in our heads what we want the solution to be, but articulating that to a software company, who in this case would be a, a lay person not understanding the internet of the industry, we're very, very bad at actually articulating what we want. Mm. That software company comes back in six months' time with a product that probably does 15% of what we want it to do and doesn't hit all the buttons, and we think, oh, my God, we've spent how many hundreds of thousands of dollars getting that far, and that kind of usually ends up dying as well. So from what you've seen, what is the right kind of approach for that kind of thing. And I suppose it kind of points to the barriers of why industry has been very, very poor and slow at actually embracing digital solutions because of some of those issues. I'd like to understand from your perspective what you think some of those challenges are and how do we as an industry need to try and get around it. Mm. I definitely agree with the statement that if you engage with a software development company or a prop tech company, I would say one of the areas we see the biggest downfall is the assumed knowledge going both ways. Yep. So when the property firm is briefing a software company on the needs, there is a lot of shorthand. There's this assumed knowledge that that software company is going to understand the vast amount of nuance that exists within the property sector and then vice versa. When the tech company pitches back up and says this is what we've developed, again, there's this incredibly large amount of nuance mm. that it sits inside tech where they're just assuming the property industry... It's like dealing with your IT company, yeah. uh, your IT business in your own company. It's exactly the same as it's that. Exact, <laughs> exact same. So I, I would definitely say one of, the, one, of the, one of the ways I've seen it work best is when there's not this single hey, we're going to tell you the problem and in six months' time you're going to come back to us with a solution mm. where there's a real consultative approach. And that's the reason why I would say more often than not engaging with an earlier stage tech company, if you're in industry, you get a lot more bang for your buck mm. from my opinion because you're not one of many for that tech company. You're more often than not one of the, one of the first 10 companies they have. And yes, there's risks with mm. that. But the benefit of that is you'll actually be able to co-create what this product looks in a highly collaborative 
way. I've seen it happen time and time again where people actually say, okay, the responsibility for you to build this solution doesn't sit purely with you. The responsibility for you to code it, that's on you. Mm. But the responsibility to build it, that is a joint responsibility because what you're building is a solution for us that solves our problem. Mm. So I would definitely say when you are looking to engage with a tech company, kind of being realistic in what the involvement of your organization needs to be. If it's not at minimum a fortnightly whip where you can actually say, this is what we're developing on or what's mm. the nuance here or okay, you want me to create efficiency for this process. Who are the stakeholders in that process that we are meant to be engaging with or we need to consider not like, it's just, it's that level of nuance that the tech company doesn't have. Mm. There's been some awesome local Southeast Queensland prop tech companies that have been taken under the wing by some of our mid-tier firms, design firms, architect firms, where they've pretty much said, okay, you want to build this, you've built 70%. What you've built addresses 70% of what we're needing, but we absolutely have that have to have that final 30 or else that there is the, the solution becomes redundant. Yep. And so those firms have actually said, great, we're going to bring you in. We're mm. going to, we might invest in you. We might put sweat equity in to say, hey, we're going to give you a lot of this data. So by the time you come back to us in six months time, you're solving 100% of our pain point yep. problem. Yep. That's when it works really mm. well. I would say, yeah, unless you're going to a Microsoft off-the-shelf solution, which is never going to be perfect, but it does, it's big, it's trusted. But from a prop, unless it's Excel, there's, from a, from a prop tech perspective, there aren't that many products that Microsoft do that actually meet the needs of no. architects, engineers, project managers. So, yeah. so I, I would, I my two cents worth on this has always been, and yes, I'm kind of biased because I, I work in the sector, but finding a company that does the 70%, that is mm. young and that's growing, and then treating them as a partner. Yeah. Yes, they're creating a solution for you, yeah. but they are a partner. The longevity and the continual benefit you get will be enormous. Because bear in mind, even at that six-month point, if they give you a solution that is bang on for what you need in 2023, come 2025, there's going to need to be... Everyone else might have a version of it by Everyone then. Everyone else yeah. have a version, but you yeah. t- tell me that that solution won't need to be added to yes or that there won't be a regulatory change or there won't be new policies that we need to you know ensure that we're operating inside the guidelines of Mm -hmm. our industry so by building that relationship you've kind of you're almost guaranteeing that continual innovation Mm -hmm. because i do think as well we see this why i think so many innovative products get pulled from the sector is they're like well this is the one-stop shop if we invest if we do this one piece of work we're innovative Mm. it's like well if you get on the innovation bandwagon yeah it never stops. You're just going to... And, yeah. and that's the companies that get that. That brings me on to another question I was thinking about, was that it's... And I think what you just said, that kind of starts to articulate it, but at Arcadis, we've done a similar kind of thing where we've developed this platform. And as we've developed it and we've got clients more engaged, I mean, there's two aspects to it. There's one, the client side, where you take a solution to a client and you say, this is it. It doesn't do everything yet, but it does this bit and there's nothing like it on the market. And some clients will accept that and say, it's great, yeah, we want to use it. And then there are other clients who go, ah, it doesn't do everything yet. Mm. And they'll, we don't want to have it. Have it. We don't want to use it yet because it doesn't do everything. And it's like, but there's, for the bit that it does do, there's nothing else like it. Oh yeah, we accept that, but it doesn't do everything yet. So it's a bit of a bit of a weird one because then they'll say, well, look elsewhere. No, we know there's no alternative for it. The other aspect of it is, is that when you're building that kind of stuff and you've got people in your business who are kind of on that journey of, of trying to drive it there's this tendency to want the solution to fit around how you work mm. and not that and what i found over the last couple of years is that you actually have to change how you work to an to get the best out of a product or a solution or whatever you've actually got to change how you operate 
and change how you work to get the best out of it. And I think that's the bit when we talk about digital and disruption, that's what a lot of people miss. And when we're talking about prop tech and we talk about these prop tech startups and companies trying to drive these solutions, from the property company side, the architect, the engineer, the PM, whatever, that there's this thinking that, well, they'll give me a solution and that will just quite neatly fit around how I work and I won't have to change what I do. Do you see a lot of that? Is that where there's a lot of challenge, I suppose, in the market? Yeah, absolutely. I would say there's a lot of challenge on the individual level. Yeah. Absolutely. But there's also, like, those challenges exist at the highest level possible. I won't name what building or what asset in in Brisbane, but a, a good example is when there's a really innovative data and analytics company that actually monitor in a completely secure, non-invasive, from a privacy viewpoint, how people move around an asset. Mm. And they can track they can track behavior patterns and how often people come, how often they come back. It's like it's it's probably one of the best solutions I've seen in that in that market. But what it's also doing is it's completely disrupting the way that the industry reports visitor rates. Mm. So you know we've got we've got shopping centers and malls and you know buildings that are saying yeah we're getting hundreds of thousands of people into this asset. Is that because they're counting the same person? They're 12 counting times. the same person. They're <laughs> counting the same staff worker who walks yeah. past. 20 times a day, they're counting the same people that come back. And so what this company did, which was uh, potentially naive of them at the time, they said, well, no, the way you're counting is wrong. If you want good data and analytics, we can tell you exactly how many people mm. come, how often they return, what their dwell time for is. And whilst that, they, they kind of went in all excited, they're like, well, as if the industry wouldn't want to know this data. But they didn't take on is, well, that's how they get their rent. Yeah. That's how they that's how they value their property in terms of footfall. So it's like it's one of those pieces where yes, it's it's a very chicken and egg moment to an extent, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Like there is the well, the solution has to work around me, but I also think more broadly, the property industry is like, well, this is the way we've always valued. This yeah. is the way we've always built. This is the way we've always managed. This is the way we've always designed and planned. So you have to fit this. And there is a little bit of I think I think we are at that point now where the industry needs to realize that just because we've always done it doesn't mean it's the best way. Mm. And so, yeah, we see it. I would say it's outside of the lack of communication. I would say it's probably the number one reason tech companies don't get the integration with industry is because they're actually fundamentally challenging one of the... Yeah, when they've crossed the aisle of actually understanding the problem in the first place. Yeah, Yeah. and I think there is absolutely a way to do it because, in my opinion, the way that we do monitor footfall... Mm in every CBD around the country, it's a bit backwards. You know, if there's solutions out there that provide us more accurate data, great. We should be looking at ways to, you know, implement and roll them out. But what you're essentially doing is pulling the rug out from an entire industry in terms of how they monitor and yeah. from CBDs on how they monitor footfall. But it's also about the historic trend as well. So you'll have a historic trend that's been counted one way yeah. and then you implement something else. And if it shows something wildly different and, let's face it, probably a lower number, Oh, it's absolutely. It, it'll look like the trend is going the opposite way. And it's not. It's just more accurate data. But yeah. that's not what people will take from it. People no. will say things have got worse. And so it's finding a way to package up where, okay, sure, the data might be lower and it's different data, but knowing how many people come on a regular daily basis and how long the what's the dwell time and mm. what is the pattern in terms of they enter here, they move around here, they st- that sort of data for someone who's in retail or property management or facilities management, highly valuable. Mm. But if you're an asset owner, but it could value. completely disrupt yeah, the asset yeah, exactly, ownership yeah, market. Yeah, so yeah. I think yes, this whole concept of innovation will only succeed if it works in the way that we work. Mm. There has to be a there has to be a meeting. I'm not saying that we need to completely disrupt how the industry works, but I do think there needs to be a forum in which nationally we sit down and say, well, yeah, just because we've always done that, is that the best? Yeah, is that best? Yeah. 
because the second we have that discussion, the amount of solutions that would get headwinds to be actually deliver their solution across the country would be huge. So I think I said it in the in the intro that you one of the things that you your core principles is to drive solutions that create enablement rather than disruption. Absolutely. So and I think it's probably good to touch on that because there's a lot of the industry that I mean the industry generally needs to be heavily disrupted to get better at what it does. Hmm. You know, we're less productive than ever. It's more expensive to build. We've got all these different headwinds and challenges out in the market in terms of cost, in terms of planning, in terms of regulation, all that kind of stuff. So we do need to get better at it. So mm. when you talk about enablement rather than disruption, what what are you trying to get out there and what kind of examples can you give? I do think that's probably why there's such a high level, and this is just my personal experience, there's such a high level of trepidation from the industry when it comes to tech and mm. innovation and digital. It's because when you say disrupt, it's, well, we're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater and we're going to completely redo how we see the industry. Mm. And I think what I'm, what PropTech B&E is completely advocating for is there is so much good in terms of business practices, in terms of principles, in terms of knowledge that sits inside the industry. We're not talking about forgetting everything we know. We're not talking about completely removing all systems, all processes, all policy. We're, we're, it's more of, a, okay, well, what do we need to do? What can we create and how can we enable the industry to do what it does, but to do it better, to do it more efficiently, to do it more sustainably, and to create a, a more positive impact for mm. the Australian property market? That's what we're here to do. We're not here to disrupt and take jobs and completely redefine what it means to be in real estate or property management or architecture. We're more saying, well, do you have the best tools? The best example I can give is the construction industry. When a new drill comes out, we're not saying, great, out with the tradies, see you later, out with the, out with the need to screw timber together mm. or out with screws. We're simply saying, hey, there's a better drill. Mm. And I think for a lot of the tech solutions where we're talking about here, the level of infancy where we're at in the national prop tech um, economy is very transparent. I think what we're saying is, hey, we've just got a better drill. We're not fundamentally talking about reshaping the property sector we're saying are you using the best tools and i think that's the analogy so when we talk you know i think whenever you say tech disruption always comes straight hand in hand with it and so we actually just came out very clear like we're not here to dramatically disrupt we're here to positively enable yeah the work that we do let's just talk about disruption for a minute so uh, we've got an event this evening on the rise of ai mm-hmm. or as somebody made a comment to me today they thought it was about paul simon's 1980s hit Call me Al. So completely, obviously, didn't read the the, the, the the rise of Al. But one thing we're going to talk about this evening is about artificial intelligence and its potential for disruption in the industry. I'd really like to get your views in terms of when we talk about AI. And I was speaking to your uh, co-speaker for this evening, Adam Beck, and he said that AI has actually been around for the last ten years, which was a bit of a surprise to me because if you're about Chat GPT and whatever variation we're talking about, it only seems to have been around for the last year mm. or less. So how do you see something like AI either disrupting or enabling the construction property industries? And I suppose from, from our listeners' perspective, how can they engage with it? Because mm. there is obviously, for all the reasons you said, fear and trepidation about this kind of thing, and you know, we're going to invent the next Skynet, we're all going to be dead within 10 years. How can we engage with this kind of emerging technology? And should we be engaging with it now, or should we be waiting for something else? Yeah, and despite the position I'm taking Tonight at the event, you know, I absolutely see AI AI as an enabling tool. I think it has the ability to be a a highly disruptive tool. And I think if it becomes that, I think we've used it wrong. Mm. I think the real power of AI is to understand systems, processes. It's really to understand programmatic 
issues. One plus one equals two, great, mm. that can be learnt. You give it an equation in a million different ways, it will know how to answer it because it's it's very data-driven, it's very yeah. programmatic. And there's a very large amount of our industry that is programmatic, it is data-driven. I was speaking to a few commercial leasing agents the other day and they were telling me that 25% of their week is spent on manual reporting, literally doing leasing minutes, literally doing capability statement. It's, it's just that it's, that it's stopping them from being out trying to get more business. And so in my mind, where AI has a real opportunity to play is, well, what is the one plus one work that our industry does? That's where AI... There's a lot of one plus one work. A lot of one plus one work. And yeah. that is where AI really has the ability to come in and say, you, got, you know that? Teach it to me. Let mm. me learn it. I've got that. The trepidation of, well, that's taking jobs. I think we as an industry have a responsibility to understand, okay, well, if the one plus one work isn't needing to be done by a human anymore, what capability does that free up for us? What additional work that could be more centered around the human experience, you know, that institutional knowledge transfer? Like where, you know, yes, do I think that some jobs are likely to be displaced by AI? Some jobs were displaced when the computer came out. Mm. You know, it's just a fact of life with mm. every technology progression we have there is work that becomes redundant i think what we have to do now is kind of not see ai as this be all and end all which is what a lot of the industry starting to see it is it's it's the messiah it's the big it's the white knight that's going to it's the disruption we've all been praying for yeah it's the disruption we've all been praying for and i think you know a perfect example of disruption gone wrong is do you remember in i think it's like maybe 2013 2014 all the big banks around the country really lent into the we're closing our branches. Everything's going to be online. It's, you know, online is the future. Online oh, is yeah. the future. So it was, yeah, this was shortly after they made everything offshore. hundred <laughs> percent, which really worked well. And, you know, yes, I, I, I would say that 90% of the time I use online banking. Mm. I do. It's a fact. But I don't know if you've noticed, but if you go to a Combank store or a Westpac store, the level of attention it's put onto the customer experience. Oh, it's improved massively. It's, I think yeah. it's. I think it's more than it ever was, particularly mm. in that sector. And I think because what we realize is digital doesn't replace the human side of what we do. Yep. You know, we're also in property. It's our three core groups, food groups for mm. humans is food, water, and shelter. Yeah. Shelter is one of the, like, no matter how big or how progressive or how tech forward we become as a society, we all need shelter, places to learn, places to live, places mm. to play, places to heal. Like, we're always going to need infrastructure. And so to, sh- to say that there's not ever, we're going to get to a point where humans aren't going to have to be behind the planning, the design, mm. the nuance, I think is a ridiculous claim. Yeah. Do we need to be doing the one plus one? That's, I think yeah. that's the question mm. where that AI is going to be able to come in and really so, so taking that example of the, the one plus one, you know, what's the basic tasks that we could get AI to do? How can people in the industry right, easily find that? Well, they'll know what the one plus one tasks are, but how do they engage with the AI to see if we can make it better, smarter, etc.? Realistically, the level of off-the-shelf AI products that exist mm. at the moment for our sector are pretty minimal. I think if you take a step back and say, what is machine learning doing in terms of improving systems and processes, it's really, I would say, first look inwards and try and figure out well, what is that task. Yeah. Really, because if you know the task, it's really easy to find. Is it sales management? Is it order forms? Is it maintenance requests? You know, being really clear on what it is you're trying to solve for. Yeah. And then, my God, there's a million and one solutions out mm. there. I would say definitely engaging with groups like PropTech Bean or like the PropTech Association of Australia or Taronga Ventures is a mm. really good 
way to go about it because these organizations essentially validate the actual good business versus a really good sales idea. Yeah. Because a lot of the founders and a lot of the tech companies that start out, they got their good salespeople. So you get sold by this awesome pitch deck and it ends up being nothing more than 11 pages promising AI versus, okay, these are the companies that are actually yeah. delivering yeah. work. So I would say, yeah, first step, understand what you're wanting to solve for. Second step, don't do it in isolation. That's probably the biggest the, the biggest benefit I can always provide industry is if you are wanting to solve for a pain point, you can always guarantee that other people are as well. So again, through groups yeah. like this, this is a really good safe vetting place, particularly if you're, if it's your first time. If you're the size of Mervac, mm. you probably had a head of innovation, a head of digital, a head of technology. Yeah, sure, off you go. But if you're a you know small, yeah, sm- yeah. small company that's looking to become more innovative, mm. don't do it by yourself and don't put money into the first idea that you see because yeah and i think that's the thing is that i mean big companies are guilty of this as well is that even as a big company you you could be under the illusion that they have lots of cash to spare yeah but generally they don't it's so tightly budgeted that they don't do a lot of investment in some of this stuff because one there's a trepidation of we can't afford to waste money on on this kind of thing so i've actually seen big companies have still be running things with excel and yeah. it's like, and you look at the size of them, and you're like, why are you still doing that? There are there are off the shelf products that aren't AI driven, but yeah. will do that job for you. So, yeah. so I, th- I think it doesn't really matter what size of business you are. I think there's a, it's probably a lot of maturing in terms of technology stacks and solutions that companies could be using, regardless of size. Oh, I actually think that it's the small companies that are ones are probably a bit more, more innovative with that. Yeah, are more yeah. innovative. Big yeah. companies, sure, they might not have the cash to invest in, but they generally have got the people internally to validate. So yeah. they generally have, particularly now in the bigger companies, very common to have a head of prop tech yeah. in there. So they've got the people who can do the scouting. Mm. But I think where the the real value for the smaller companies is, well, you can more easily take a risk because if it does go bad and then you realize that it's not a solution you want to integrate with anymore, you unplug it and you might have five or six people mm. that you need to tell to stop using it versus a couple thousand people yeah. on the system who you've trained for. So yeah. I do think... With the big companies, you've got the change management problem gotcha. as well. Yeah. Gotcha. So yeah. I, I, like, I particularly love seeing developers at the moment. Small to medium developers, yeah. gosh, they're, uh, they're becoming the cowboys of the industry because they are the ones saying, great, we're going to... We'll take a punt on this. Like, we'll see if it, it does what it needs to do. Yeah. But yeah, I would think the biggest, the biggest piece of advice I would say for people who are wanting to become more innovative and wanting to kind of transform their business is do it in collaboration. Mm. I also think there's this big methodology that's growing at the moment, which is innovation is going to be the competitive advantage. So everybody, everybody tries to do it individually. Yeah, if and, I've got the best tech, yeah. I'm going to get more customers. Realistically, that's not the case. Yeah. If you've got the best tech, you might be able to provide an awesome customer experience, but mm. there's always going to be competitors. And I think, it's, I think it's high time that we as an industry say, all right, we need to start rising as a collective because yeah. that's how we're going to reset the benchmark yeah. for what is acceptable in this industry and what the standards and what the best practices and how we integrate with innovation and technology. Yeah. It's by doing it as a collective, not seeing it as the way you win business. Yeah. Which, yeah, because I've, I've been in those meetings where you've, you think you've got something innovative, so, you know, a new solution, new software product, whatever. First question that gets asked, usually by somebody in finance or usually somebody in sales say something, right, what's the return? Where, how can we charge more money for this? Yeah. And some of my responses or responses I've heard have been, why do we have to get more money for it? Why can't it, why can't it be the disruptor? Why can't it be the thing that just gets us in front of the client quicker than other means? Yeah. 
because that's a return straight away. Oh no, but how can we charge more? Why can't it be the thing that provides an epic customer experience? Yeah. Well, that's ultimately the solution, but there's always somebody who wants to see that return, wants to see the, how can we improve profitability by using this product and all the rest of it. And it's like, yeah, sometimes that's not necessarily, that shouldn't necessarily be the foundation. And sometimes it's absolutely going to be a cause, which I think is great if there's a way that you can leverage innovation to increase. But I think if you start with that, though, you're potentially minimizing your solution to an extent. Yeah. It's, It's a cause. It's not the foundation. Yeah. So... Great conversation, Isaac. We do finish off with a bit of a quick fire round, and I'll okay. apologise in advance because I didn't give you sight of these beforehand. That's so, fine. so, so you've so you're going to be thinking on your feet a little bit. Fairly simple. Favorite coffee shop in Brisbane? Strauss on Elizabeth Street, down that little alleyway. No, yeah, love yeah. it. It's great. Yeah, really good Reuben sandwich there as well. Really good. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite thing to do at the weekend? Walk along the river. I normally start at Tenerife and go up to the powerhouse. Right. Great. And what do you? And this is maybe. You're probably going to be at a slightly different angle on this, knowing where where you sit and where you're positioned. But what do you love about working in the construction and property industry? The thing that I love the most about it is a vast majority of the industry is actually creating impact. And I don't think we realize it. Mm. Creating the assets where people live, work and play is an incredibly awesome privilege. And I think a lot of the industry don't even acknowledge that. So I think I like the fact yeah. that we're actually creating tangible assets that people engage with and live in and play in on a daily hourly basis that's huge that's awesome i fully agree with that i think you're right i think we don't give ourselves enough credit no i think we just look at all the challenges and all the problems and not actually think what a privilege we've got to actually try and solve some of these problems Mm -hmm. the an example i've got sorry just to go off piece from the quick fire round for a minute not to try and eschew the values of of arcadis but the the strap line for arcadis is improving quality of life and some of the comments you get from the engineers and the, the cost managers in my team and stuff, it's like I don't feel like I, that resonates with me because what I'm doing in terms of doing cost planning or designing this bridge, how's that improving quality of life? But when you follow it through that, well, your contribution leads to an asset or a solution that does make somebody's life better somewhere, mm-hmm. either because the car can get across the bridge or it's a building that somebody can occupy, it does all fall into that. So I think you're right. I think people get so focused on their little piece and they don't see the big picture. Yep. So we don't give ourselves enough credit about how exciting it is, a role that we all have. Yeah, and I reckon if we did, I think God would be a lot more innovative. Absolutely. Like if you sit there <laughs> yes. and like, look yeah. at what we have got the privilege to do. Yeah, yeah. Let's no, do it. Totally agree. Okay, last one. What book would you recommend to our listeners and why? Uh, all right, I would recommend, it's a book by Sarah Bell. She's currently the Chief Information Officer at CoreLogic, and she was the co-founder of Air Technologies, which is probably one of Australia's best artificial intelligence prop tech companies wow. right here in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. The book is actually her thesis for her PhD. It's called Uptown. And it pretty much articulates the life cycle of innovation within real estate, but not in a really boring Tony Robbins style way. Really <laughs> practical. It's not a self-help book, but it's kind of saying, hey, look, this is how this is the innovation life cycle within real estate. Mm-hmm. Spoken from someone who knows it firsthand, who started a business, sold it, and then moved into corporate. It's a phenomenal book. And if you're interested in this space at all, it's 100% worth reading. Thank you. Thanks for your time, Isaac. Really enjoyed it. Pleasure. The Shovel is a podcast for Property Leaders Brisbane and is kindly recorded and produced by BBS Communications Group. If you've enjoyed The Shovel, please subscribe, review and share to help spread the word. Thank you.